Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And if you are a multifamily investor, an aspiring investor, an industry insider, or you just you know love the idea of creating passive income and generational wealth from multifamily real estate, well, you know, strap yourself in because we have another excellent show for you today. Um, Brian Briscoe from Four Oaks Capital is with us. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with Brian. He's a really great guy. You may see him all over social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, all over the place. So very excited to kind of get into what he's up to, what he's seeing in the market, and kind of just seeing, you know, again, what he is doing at Four Oaks Capital. But first, before we do that, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by RayReport.com, the premier multifamily intelligence aggregator, delivering the most recent research reports, market data, and insights on the multifamily industry, real estate, and the economy, updated 24-7. So hop on over to RayReport.com. That's www.grayreport.com. All right, let's get into the show. Brian's a co-founder of the multifamily investing firm Four Oaks Capital, which currently controls about 485 units worth $21 million, probably more than that now given the current market conditions. He is also the host of The Diary of an Apartment Investor, which brings an experienced and inspiring investor together on each episode. By the way, that show is celebrating over 50,000 downloads of Brian. Congratulations. He's also an active duty military lieutenant colonel stationed at the Pentagon and will retire in the summer 2021 after 20 years of service. Brian, really appreciate your service to the country. Um, Again, yeah, really appreciate it. And also, he's host of the virtual TGIF multifamily meetup Mm -hmm. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time being on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing, Spencer? I'm doing well. Yeah, I guess the only thing I could change, it's beautiful outside. If I could be fishing somewhere, that'd be the only way to kind of improve my situation. But I love uh, talking real estate. That's the second best thing in the world. So, Yeah, I mean, best day fishing is better than the worst day doing anything else. Or actually, opposite, opposite, worst day fishing. Yeah, I I just totally botched that. But the worst day fishing is better than the best day doing anything else. But uh, um, I haven't... uh, I, I did a lot of fishing growing up, but amazingly, right after I met my wife, I don't think I've been fishing more than three times, you know, since then. I guess I, you know, caught the perfect fish and, you know, didn't have any reason to fish. You it. had a good good experience, didn't need to do it again. Well, if you ever um, come out to Indianapolis, come out to Indiana, let me know. Love to take yeah. you fishing. Um, so, no, that's awesome. Some of the best fly fishing trout streams in the, and probably in the world right now. I'm in southeastern Idaho, um, two-hour drive from Jackson. You've got the Snake River coming through here, so... Same thing. Come on, come on out. Be careful because I, I probably will take you up on that. That's, <laughs> you know, we've got some smallmouth bass here, but we don't have the trout fishing like you guys yeah. do out west. And um, again, congratulations on the move. That's uh, always an experience to say the least. So, you know, Brian, is there anything else that you'd like to tell the viewers and listeners out there to kind of help to get you know a little bit better? I like to start with, you know, the, the military part, you know, and that, that's something that a lot of people key in on. I've been active duty for almost 20 years now. And basically, I'm one of those September 11th guys, you know, September 11th, you know, changed me in a lot of ways. You know, I saw what happened on TV and I'd never been to New York. I'd never been to D.C. at the time, but uh, lit a fire, so to speak. So I uh, went active duty in the Marine Corps. And, you know, it's, it's not a, a coincidence that my my retirement's 20 years, you know, after September 11th. So, you know, my there, there's lots of different dates floating out there, but, uh, you know, my, my last day getting paid as a Marine will be October 31st. Okay. And then, you know, my last day, you know, officially as, as an active duty Marine will be 
around August 15th. So before that, I was actually in a math PhD program, you know, so I wanted to be a, a college professor at the time. I was good at math. I don't know if I was passionate about it. I was good at it. And I liked teaching. And I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, I really liked teaching. I, I could see myself, you know, teaching math, but, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to keep options open. You know, I always wanted to, you know, make sure I didn't pigeonhole myself into, you know, just one thing and be the guy that could only get a job as a math professor or something like that. So it took a lot of uh, coursework in, in other areas so that, uh, you know, I can make myself more marketable. Anyway, so that, that was that. And, you know, like I said, September 11th, I was a college student, PhD program, University of Minnesota, basically went straight from there to active duty ranks. And along the way, you know, there, there's a lot of things about the Marine Corps that I enjoyed. You know, a lot of things that, uh, they talk about the carrot, you know, they put just the right carrot in front of you at just the right time to keep people in. And that's what ended up happening, you know? So, um, along the way, I picked up a handful of single family properties, you know, I've moved 10 times in the last 20 years. Wow. So, you know, we should be professionals at moving, but <laughs> I'll be honest, it gets harder every time, but yeah, every, every so often we'd pick up a house when the numbers made sense, you know, would just quick litmus test for us was all in price or mortgage versus rental. You know, if mm -hmm. we knew that we could cash flow, you know, three after three years of owning a house and renting it out, that's what we did. So when we moved someplace, you know, I look at the numbers and if the numbers made sense, we would buy buy a house, turn it into a rental. You know, fast forward several years and you're know, getting ready to retire now. So like three years ago is when I really started thinking about, you know, the exit plan. You know, there was uh, a boss of mine and the Marine Corps does what Congress tells us to do. And yeah. unfortunately, we do exactly what Congress tells us to do. You know, we, we don't we don't try to you know do it better or worse. We do exactly what they tell us to do. But, you know, at some point they, they mandated that every Marine has to sit down with his commanding officer. Every service member has to sit down with the commanding officer and do an exit interview before getting out of, of the service. And it's mostly to see to make sure that they are properly prepared for civilian life. And so. Um, I had a, a, an office that had an adjoining room to the, the commanding officer. There's a door between our room that was always open. And I could always hear what was going on. And he was not very kind to the subordinate leaders if a Marine showed up and didn't have a solid exit plan. And at, huh. at the time, I was at my 16, 17-year mark. And after hearing the conversation over and over again, you know, thinking, you know, him talking about, hey, what's your exit plan? What are you, what, what you going to be doing? Where are you going to be living? You know, how are you going to be earning money and sustaining your life, things like that? I realized I didn't have an exit plan, yeah. you know, and so um, spent a lot of time thinking about what that exit plan would be and landed on multifamily. So always been interested in real estate, always been passionate about it. I realized the multifamily is a way to, to scale and turn, you know, what I was passionate about into a business. Now, so, what was there a point of, you know, did you read something or watch something to kind of spark that aha moment of saying, okay, I've been doing this single family rental <laughs> game for a while, but okay, there's something better out there. I might be able to bet on maybe what, if there's like a book, what it might be, but um, yeah, was there any, any moment that kind of sparked it? So the, the, the moment that sparked it, you know, I was on a deployment, you know, and it's just something, it's, it's part of the job, you know, every once in a while, you gotta, you know, pack your bags and leave for seven months, you know, the, the aha moment for me wasn't wasn't a happy one. It was, it was the opposite. It was, you know, being away from the family again, you know, my, my oldest daughter's 21 and I have been with her on four. 
of her birthdays, you know, including yeah. the day she was born. You know, fortunately, I was there for that. But four out of 21, that, that's not good numbers for a father. And on this particular deployment, I was missing birthdays. I was missing another Christmas. I was missing, you know, Thanksgiving and other holidays. And that's where I realized that, and that's where I realized that I needed to, to really formulate, you know, I really needed to figure out how to, to make this whole exit plan thing work, how to, how to figure things out. You know, this is, this is right. This is probably a couple months before the other story I told you where we were in the adjoining office, but that's where I realized that I needed to change something. You know, I needed to do something different. And I read a book by Brandon Turner, Bigger Pockets. You know, it was how to buy, how he bought a 24 unit. Yeah. It's got a really long title, but basically it goes through him buying a 24 unit with almost no money down. And what that did was made me realize that, you know, apartments are accessible. And I think prior to that, I mean, I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant before. Yeah. He talks a lot about commercial real estate, but when I read those books for the first time, I never thought that multifamily commercial real estate was accessible to me. So that was the first book that made it accessible, you know, and I, I started kind of formulating the plan or, or tossing around ideas. And then a couple months later, when, you know, hearing, you know, my commanding officer, my boss talk to the Marines getting out, why don't you have a plan? Why don't you have a plan? I started putting two and two together and saying, okay. I like this idea about multifamily. I need a plan because I'm going to eventually get out of the Marine Corps. And, and then I start putting two together, figure out yeah. how to make that work. That's so awesome. That's that incredible. Really aha moment. You know, so in, in a way, you know, there was a, you know, a sense of urgency or there was a point where hey, I've got, you're being pushed to, or I've mm -hmm. got to figure this out. And I yeah. imagine that that's a, it probably is an issue, you know, in the military, you know, being very focused on, you know, doing what you're told, doing what you're told. And then that goes away. And now, now what do you do? What is yeah. that next step? And if you haven't thought about it, that can be like, that can be pretty challenging for a lot of folks, I imagine, and, and probably you know unfortunate situations at times of not having so much structure and having that structure go away. Um, I, I want to go back, you know, quickly because you know I think I, I you know and again you know we've had a couple conversations. You know I, I was on your podcast. You know I don't know know, know you super well, but I think just the fact that. You know, when September 11 ha happened, and I and I was I was in seventh grade at the time, and I I, rem I remember that day every single minute and second of that entire day, like like most of us. But you know, so many people, you know, they were either you know they were scared, you know, they were angry. Not that many people took action. It's not just taking action, but it, it's taking responsibility, and that's something that's taken me a long time to learn. Of that, you know, we're really responsible for you know things around us, and you know, we can make a change and to. You know, really kind of take that, you know, personally and say, I'm not going to delegate this to some other folks that are going to go out and, you know, you know, fight and, you know, potentially, you know, give their lives. You're the fact that you stepped, stood up and said, you know, I'm going to be responsible for for doing something. Um, I think that that goes to show um, a lot about what you're all about. And I think it's probably a skill set that's probably well, not even a skill set, just a personality trait that's probably done you well in life because that's what a lot of, you know, business is about is just doing what has to be done. And so just fast forwarding, you know, so you're out of the military, you've read Brandon Turner's book, and I've read, I've read that book also, it was, it's a really good one. Um, and he does make it seem accessible. And I think that's one of the, the largest, 
you know, the mindset traps and kind of the barriers that prevent a lot of people from taking that next step, only focus on single family. So once you realize that that was accessible, um, can you tell us about kind of doing that first deal and because it's not always straightforward, you have to put the team together, you kind of have to get the strategy. What was that process like of kind of putting that first deal together? It took a long time. I mean, the deployment that I talked about was 2017, you know, and it was 2019 when we got the first deal under contract, you know, so, you know, I, I spent probably, you know, and this is, this is part of the nature of, of, of being in the military. I was living in the San Diego area and I knew that I would move summer of 2018, you know, so I knew I had less than a year left in where I was living and we don't get a lot of notice on, on where we're moving to. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three months. So I kind of made the decision that since I don't know where I'm going to be living next, it didn't make a lot of sense to start trying to purchase things, mm -hmm. you know, because if I, if I started looking in, you know, pick a Metro and then all of a sudden I'm living on the other side of the world, that's not going to work out. So I really made the decision to wait and see, you know, just, just learn as much. So I, I was listening to podcasts. I was reading the books doing everything that I could. I signed up for, for a, uh, you know, a couple of the online pay to play courses. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those are really good. I've actually done several of them, um, for a while. And then when I, when I found out I was moving to DC, um, I basically threw my hat in with, uh, the Michael Blanc group. He was, yeah. he was living in Northern Virginia at the time. And he happened to have an event that was like right in my neighborhood, you know, right when I moved in. And that, that was a big catalyst for me. It was just one of those things where, being able to actually see people and talk to people who were doing what I wanted to do completely changed my mindset. I mean, yeah. prior to going to this event, I was looking at like six units. I mean, here in Idaho Falls, you know, I spent, I spent two weeks here, you know, in the transition time, you know, I was looking at six units and eight units and five unit properties in the area, you know, everything that was on the MLS, you know, I didn't yeah. even know there was a different system, but, uh, you go to that event and all of a sudden I start realizing once again, I mean, I think Brandon Turner's book made me start thinking a little bigger, but just being around people who are closing, you know, hundred and 200 and 300 unit properties and realizing that they're really just normal people. Yeah. You know? What, what's wow. different about this person? And if they can do it, why, I guess, you know, why couldn't, why can't, I? Why can't you? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that was that was fall of 2018. I don't remember exactly when, but fall of 2018 and did, uh, you know, paid for the the full time coaching program, well, not full time, the uh, whatever it's called, but yeah, paid for the, the mentorship program. And it was about four or five months later um, that I met my current business partners, you know, so um, that's great. And, and the whole time I'm learning, I'm, I'm putting things in action again. You know, as soon as I, you know, figure out what an LOI is, I'm like, oh, hey, look at that. You know, yeah. um, my, my first offer was probably the worst offer a broker's ever received. It was a number in an email. It's like, yeah. how about 3.2 million? <laughs> hey, you know, it's at least you made an offer, though. Most people yeah. don't even make the attempt to email the broker or actually make an offer. So it's yeah. like you got to start somewhere. And that's and I, how nerve, how nerve wracking was sending that first email, thinking that even though it's an LOI, it's non-binding, like it's, you're going to be, you're yeah. right. You have to send the wire, the funds over tomorrow. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was nerve wracking was the answer, you know, and just, just typing in 3.2 million, it probably took me 15 minutes. It probably took me three seconds to write it and 15 minutes to hit the send button, you yeah. know, just because I was second guessing myself. But, and then I learned about this thing called LOI and it was like, Oh, that's how I should put things in, you know? So basically I was, um, you know, in a mentorship program and really 
you know, learning on the fly. You know, I had a guide to point me out to certain things, but, uh, you know, a lot of it was learning by doing. And, um, yeah, like I said, several months later, I found a couple of partners, um, and we, we partnered up on a, on a deal that we, we finally got one under contract. And the, the four of us that came together on that deal ended up forming Four Oaks Capital. So, you know, it was, it was a long process. You know, I think 2017 was the light bulb moment when I was like, I need to do multifamily and it's going to, you know, it's going to be my exit plan to yeah. 2019 where we've got our first deal under contract. You know, now 2021, when I'm, you know, knocking on the door of retirement, you know, we've got, you know, eight properties, number nine's under contract, should close soon. And uh, it's been a, a fun ride. It's been a wild ride. I'm looking forward to a lot more. But more importantly, you know, it's it's something that is going to sustain, you know, my family. You know, it's yeah. something that's going to, you know, keep food on the table and, and bills paid. And it's something I really, really enjoy. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, you know, because the operation side and, you know, kind of the details of, you know, buying real estate, operating apartments, you know, it's something that we, we all can get interested in, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of, you know, what is kind of the whole point and what's the why for doing this? And you know, like you had mentioned earlier, you know, having that time to spend with your kids. And I mean, really it comes down to time and, you know, some people say financial freedom, but it's really having options. Um, you know, I want the option to, I can work, full-time, I can work part-time yeah. or I cannot work at all. I can spend time with my kids. I can spend time fishing or what, you know, whatever somebody likes to do and, um, to kind of unlock that and to realize that it is, um, you know, it is obtainable. And we you know what you just mentioned of just really kind of just continuing to go along the process, being intentional about, you know, this is what I want to do. You didn't probably know, like no one does every yeah. step along the way, what's going to happen next, but you continue to make progress and move forward, whether it was, you know, getting a mentor, educating mm -hmm. yourself, reading books, you know, networking, and just those doors continue to open. Eventually it sounds like to meeting your four partners, um, you know, founding Four Oaks Capital, um, which is kind of where you are now. And, and so I guess how many projects do you, and I think we mentioned earlier, but how many projects do you guys have in your portfolio and kind of just tell us a little bit yeah. about what Four Oaks is up to? Yeah. I mean, we, we have eight right now. Um, seven of them are in South Carolina, one's in Georgia, you know, roughly 500 units. Awesome. Um, you know, total purchase price. Well, I mean, you said it in the intro, total purchase price was 21 million. And I, I probably should update that, but, uh, you know, right now, fair market value of everything altogether is, is is probably closer to thirty. You know, so we we've been that, able that's to what enjoy I was say, yeah. um, a lot of appreciation. The, these last couple of years have been great as far as that goes. You know, and, and going back to the why, you know, for 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 me, a big deal was location freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, my my wife had made up her mind several years ago that she wanted to live in Idaho Falls. Um, there's probably less than a hundred thousand people within twenty five miles of me, right? So it's it's a small small metro. And, you know, four years ago when she made up her mind that she wanted to live here, you know, I was still figuring things out. And I'm like, I was still in the job W2 mentality. And I remember thinking, how am I, you know, how, you know, where, where am I going to get a job in such a small place that, that plays to my strengths? Um, but what this has given me is the ability to live where I want to live. Um, yeah. And in this case, it's, I want to live where my wife wants to live. But uh, it's given us the opportunity. But yeah, so eight eight properties in the portfolio. The smallest is sixteen. The largest is one sixty seven. Um, number nine, you know, we we should close on. You know, we're um, 
we, we should have the capital raise all buttoned up by the time this this airs. So yeah, I, I, I feel free to talk about that one. That's going to be 144. Unit, yeah, you know, another eight million dollar purchase price. But uh, congratulations! Um, yeah, no, that, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Yeah. So so tell, yeah, I guess tell us a little bit more about that project. Also in the southeast, if if can yep. you speak about it? I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can talk a little bit about it. You know, just just wave tops. You know, it, it is an, an active project, but uh, um, we should close. You know, roughly mid July. Um, but it's a 144 unit. It's value add, and you know, just like you know, it's it's almost it's almost the textbook property that you're looking for. You know, if you do a rent analysis, you go on the get the CoStar report. And you sort things by, you know, the rent per square foot or rent per unit. It's the bottom of the pile. There you it go. is literally the lowest rent in the entire metro that it's in. It's in a smaller metro, about 250,000 people, but it's in a metro that's growing fast. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a place that um, C-Class, it's, it's very conveniently located to a lot of um, industry you know, where a lot of the C-class tenants, a lot of the workforce people are going to want to work. So, um, you know, it's 144 units, $8 million purchase price. You know, we're probably going to put somewhere between a million and a million and a half in, in capital expense in, yeah. in, in renovations into the project. Um, a lot of it's going to, to curb appeal and a lot of it's going to, you know, fix the interiors up as well. But, uh, the other nice thing about it is it is currently at 100% occupancy. Okay, there you go. But you, you know yeah, the rents that. are below market if you're at 100% yeah. occupancy. Yeah. And there's and that's, nowhere, can't go lower. So, yeah. at least so the rents, it's, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's, at the, it's at the bottom of the marketplace right now. And, you know, um, I, I wasn't out on the due diligence trip. You know, I was still, you know, tied to the, the, my desk at the Pentagon at the time, but no, no, actually, that was the week the movers were at my house. But uh, anyway, um, I wasn't at the due diligence trip. My partner secret shopped, you know, all of the, the apartments yep. in, the, in the neighboring, um, you know, in, in the neighborhood. And they said that, uh, you know, that the, the units that uh, we're purchasing are larger and most of them are actually nicer. So it, it's one of those things where, you know, we could probably jack rent up by without doing know, anything, without doing Pro anything, probably. 10 to 15 percent. Yeah. And, you know, come away with a 95% occupancy instead of a hundred. So, yep. you know, a lot of good things, but we're, we're, we're going to do it right. We're going to, you know, improve the curb appeal. We're going to make it a nice place to live. Um, we'll spend a lot of time trying to make sure we have the right clientele. I mean, being the lowest price asset in an area is also going to mean you're going to have some less desirable tenants. Yeah, um, sure. And there's some tenants that have, you know, five figure bad debts, you mm -hmm. know, racked up. Handful. So, yep. Yeah. You know, but uh, no, but anyway. that, that sounds like, I mean, that sounds like a great deal. I mean, that checks a lot of the boxes for a lot of investors. And we, we did a similar project last year, um, you know, similar, you know, kind of the cheapest rents in the market and hundred uh, percent occupied. And um, those, sometimes those can be, um, it can scare some folks off because the rents are cheaper, but if you got a good business plan, I mean, execute it, that those can be just great sweetheart deals. And yeah. in today's market, I mean, finding any kind of project, um, you know, at that price point, it's pretty competitive out there to say the least. Yeah. And I mean, fortunately on this one, we, we've actually done it before, you know, so all the things we're talking about doing now and, and the difference between us now and us two years ago, um, two and a half years ago is, you know, now we've done it. We've done yeah. it several times. We're about to come full cycle on our first deal. So um, now it's just a rinse and repeat. You know, we already know exactly what, uh, what flooring we're putting in. We've got ceiling fans that are all, we've got paint colors. 
you know, it's just templated at this point. Yep. You know? So everything's a template and same, same. You that's, know? you know, that's what's beautiful about, you know, real estate. It's not rocket science. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it really isn't. You know, you have to be, you know, savvy and sensitive. There's some mistakes you can make, but you, and you have to have the experience to know the right decision. But once you kind of have the systems figured out, you really can, um, yeah. you know, kind of just keep doing it. So congrats that's to you good. guys. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And so are you guys um, mostly focused on more than, you know, workforce housing kind of value add strategy? Um, Tino, tell us a little bit about your acquisition criteria right now. You know, right, right now, you know, we, we've done a couple of B class um, assets before, but we are typically looking for workforce value add. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Carolinas there, there's a lot of that in Georgia, there's a lot of that. So, I mean, quite, quite frankly, there's a lot of that everywhere, but uh, uh, you know, it seems to be, seems to be very, very prevalent in certain areas, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, South Carolina, the, the city we're going in is Florence. They just put an inland port in there and it just, it saves truck drivers a couple hours, you know, so stuff is put on rail from a port to the facility in, in Florence. And, you know, instead of truck drivers driving all the way to the coast, you know, two hours from the two or three hours from the coast, they can stop short, but there, there's a lot of industrial type stuff in that area. Um, we're also very, very high on upstate South Carolina. You know, you've got the BMW plant. Michelin's yep. got a big plant there. Yep. A lot of stuff around the automotive industry there. Um, but that's not all. But there, there's a lot of a lot of industrial type workforce type jobs in that area. So yeah, yeah, we um, were trying to get in. We were looking at a couple of Greenville, uh, South Carolina projects earlier this yeah. year, and it's a it's we flew out there. It's a beautiful, beautiful market. Oh, a lot of it stuff going on. Is. Yeah. Norm- normally, I have uh, a Greenville virtual background, but oh, I have nice. my green screen up, and it, it just kind of looks weird if, without green screen. But uh, upstate South Carolina, so we're we're typically looking, you know, in your your secondary to tertiary markets, um, you know. So we're not in the Charlottes, we're not in the Atlantas, we're we're more in the you know Greenvilles, the Spartanburgs, the Columbias, the Florences, the Augustas type um, type areas. So. Um, no. Workforce housing, secondary, tertiary markets, southeast. Love it. No, you that that I think that's smart. I mean, one, you know, that the workforce housing, you can't build, you can't afford to build any new product nope. unless it's you know subsidized. Um, you know, you got to build three classes above to even get close, and yeah. um, so it's supply constrained, and mm-hmm. it's the rents that have the most room to increase over time. Um, and you know, that that's a, you know, a little bit of a transition. Um, of co- about talking kind of a little about rent growth and kind of what's going on in the economy right now. As you mentioned, you, you're thinking about being a professor in economics, so you know you're more qualified um, than I am to speak on this topic. Everybody's been talking about inflation. We've been discussing inflation about almost every episode of the Gray Report. I don't. No one's questioning if we're seeing a lot of inflation. Inflate the inflation is happening. It's more about how transient it is, or if it's going to be longstanding. What's going to happen? What are your thoughts on inflation? Is it here to stay? And, you know, maybe what should folks be thinking about? You know, I mean, you got, you got to look at what inflation is, you know, and what we're seeing is not inflation. What we're seeing is like a, there, there is some inflation to it. Um, I, I think the technical term, and it's been a long time since I was in, in that crowd, is actually a reflation. Yeah. You know, the, the prices are going up because of government spending. It's not prices that are going up because of economic activity. You know, inflation is driven by economic activity. You know, so what we're seeing is not necessarily inflation. Um, what we're seeing, I think, is a, is a lot of the result of of COVID. You know, yeah. so when COVID happened, you know, there was a huge supply chain um, stoppage. You know, basically everything stopped. Things stopped moving. You, you see it very much in the lumber industry too. You know, 
lumber industry is not something that you can just flip a switch and turn things back on. You know, you had a lot of um, a lot of companies that were laying off workers. You know, and a lot of the workers were moving, trying to find other jobs. You know, and so so when you try when when things turn back on again, and you're trying to start building, you know, the lumber industry is sitting there like, okay, we've got to hire X amount of workers. You know, and maybe they get a third of that back in the in the shops. But what what we're really seeing more now is is a supply and demand imbalance. Um, you've got a lot of people who've been staying home. They haven't been seeing movies. They haven't been eating out. The savings rate has almost tripled yeah. in you know pre-COVID to, to right now. So people have a lot more money to spend. And since they've been staying home for the last year or so, they're much more antsy and much more you know uh, ready to spend it. So, yeah. um, so you have a massive spending spree that a lot of people are are, are going on. And sometimes it's houses. I mean, that's part of the reason cryptocurrency has done so well right now. Yeah. It is just that that extra money that everybody has to spend. But basically what we're seeing is that supply and demand imbalance, you know, a lot more demand than there is supply. And it's going to take a while for that supply to catch up. So where do I think, you know, this is taking the, the housing or the multifamily market? Well, you know, number one, you know, we're, we're not building as fast as we need to, to meet the current housing demand. So that's going to continue to to push rents up. You know, supply and demand. There's not enough houses for the people who want to move in. Rents are going to go up. Um, there's a lot of extra money in the capital markets. Yeah. Uh, interest rates are low. That's pushing prices up. You know, so you know people like me are spending more per square foot, more per per unit. So you can afford to two years ago. Yeah, yeah, because that the money's a lot easier to come by. So, um, and I, I don't see I don't see either of those two things changing. You know, soon. So, I expect to see rents go up. I expect to see cap rates still decline a little bit, um, as long as the interest rates stay low. And the Biden administration has has said several times they intend to keep it low. So, you know, really, you know, you're saying, you know, everyone's talking about inflation, but you really have to look at, you know, one kind of one of the base effect of, you know, how we how far we drop. So now we're kind of reflating back, making up from the lost ground. But yeah. then the, we've got all this combination of um, supply squeezes, supply bottlenecks, and creating an imbalance of how much demand um, versus how much supply is out there. Um, you know, which is kind of the opposite of what you might read in the media of you know inflation is going crazy, everyone's selling gold, talking about hyperinflation. But you know, if you listen to you know Jerome Powell and you know, and he just recently came out um, the Federal Open Market Committee. You know, they gave he gave the uh, press conference statement yesterday. Basically saying that um, you know, yeah, there is some price pressure, but really the underlying assumptions that we've had over the last decade of the last bull market of you know, honestly, more deflationary pressures from you know an aging uh, population, uh, forces from technology, those forces haven't gone away. And once we kind of get out of these bottlenecks and we're not, we haven't closed down the economy, we should kind of revert back to you know more or less a similar economic environment and so they'll average out that you know getting close to two percent average inflation so you're saying you know i think the inflation argument or opinion is maybe a little bit overstated sounds like yeah and i think that there's there's a tendency to let fear drive things and i think a lot of people i, I think that gets more headlines so yep. when people start talking about inflation and how it's going to ruin your lives i mean first of all no it's not you know the type of inflation we see here isn't going to ruin you know our economy but uh um you know I, I think that tends to get more headlines because 
you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, and, and the, the, the fear that it kind of spreads is, is, is almost contagious. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I look at it and, you know, one of my, one of my jobs in the Marine Corps is I'm a foreign area officer and I've, um, I've got another master's degree in international relations, you know, and I've studied Latin American economies and this is nothing compared to the type of inflation that Venezuela is seeing right yep. now. You know, that's, that's, you know, literally, you know, a vicious cycle that's just taking them downhill. And we're, you know, we're, we're nowhere near that level of inflation. And that's, that's the level of inflation where it becomes dangerous for economies. So I, I think we can handle a little bit of inflation. Um, I think real estate markets, you know, investing in real estate is one of the best places to be in, in an inflationary cycle because rents are going up and prices are going up and our loan balance is going down, you know, so you know, we're, we're, we still have the same fixed expense on our debt and prices are going up and our income's going to go up. Yeah. So, well, and theoret theoretically, we do see that inflation, you know, the value of that debt is you know, theoretically kind of being reduced or kind of destroyed by, um, through inflation as well. And so, and again, looking back, you know, we were in a sort of, you know, deflationary environment uh, before the pandemic and multifamily was still one of the best asset classes in real estate in general, best asset classes you could have allocated yourself towards more because of, to your point, the lack of supply and the growing demand. Um, and that was deflationary. And so if we are in an inflationary environment, should uh, be able to track and beat inflation. But if we kind of go back to where we were during the last yeah. bull market, you know, we're kind of in a good spot. So it's a nice sweet if spot. You, if you look at the bad markets, I mean, commercial real estate fares fairly well. I mean, kind of, a, you know, I shouldn't should have chose better words. But, uh, um, you know, if you look what happens, multifamily is always the first to bounce back. And I always look at it as, you know, once again, supply and demand. There's always going to be demand for housing. Okay. People have to live somewhere, you know, unless you're looking at like a Thanos snap, you know, if you're an Avengers fan, you yeah. know, or, you know, some sort of apocalyptic type of event, there's always going to be a demand for housing. You know, you can't say the same thing about industrial or office or retail, you know, the other um, commercial real estate types, you know, and every, every recession, every downturn is different. Um, multifamily is always the first to bounce back. It may not fare the best. I mean, I think uh, industrial in the last year has you know, done a lot better than multifamily, yep. but um, you can't go wrong with multifamily. Yep. No, I agree. I think um, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that came out yesterday um, based on a report from the NASA National Association of Realtors that essentially said that we have a def current deficit of five and a half million housing units, and mm -hmm. we need around two million single family homes and two and a half multifamily units like now to meet yeah. demand. And, you know, in 2019, when I think we peaked for multifamily uh, construction, I think we hit about a little over 300,000 units delivered in a year. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've got a long, long um, way to go. And, and again, I sometimes I feel like that's oversimplifying just supply and demand and, you know, an investment thesis, but at the same time, it's a pretty powerful driver for the future, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you're, you're getting ready to retire from the Marine Corps, Brian, um, you know, what's next for yourself? You just, you just moved out to Idaho. Um, you know, I guess what else is new next for yourself and for Oaks? 
the thing that came to mind was I'm going to Disneyland. But hey, there you uh, go. You know, that's that's the uh, <laughs> that's a classic. Um, it's a classic, right? Hey, you yeah. just won the Super Bowl. What's next? I'm going to Disneyland. Well, but, uh, after you after you close uh, the deal coming up, yeah. then you go to Disneyland. Yeah, then we'll go to Disneyland. No, yeah. but uh, so we're working on an educational platform. It's uh, what we want to create is a community of of real estate investors based around education. You know, so. Um, I've learned a lot. I've I've been involved in several pay to play programs, and I have a podcast that you know I've I think we put out episode one forty six yesterday. That's you know, awesome. so I, I've talked to hundreds of people who have done very well in this business. So essentially, what what I'm trying to do now, and this is this is my my focus on Four Oaks. You know, part of me wants to be in the acquisitions. That's Eric's job. Part of me wants to be in the asset management. That's Todd's job. But uh, you know, I'm going to, my, my role is to be building this educational community where we bring people together with people who are trying to get into the game with people who are in the game and actually doing things and, you know, trying to make people better and help as many people as possible, make it to the next step. So that's my role. It's uh, called the tribe of Titans and, and we should go live with it, um, you know, around first, second week of July. Cool. So everybody watching out that this may this uh, show may be released so check out tribe of titans is that going to be on the four oaks uh capital website or is that going to have a new separate website for it awesome. it's the the tribe of titans.com awesome the so, tribe of titans.com yeah. everybody check it out um especially if you're interested in you know ramping up your education kind of shortening um that time frame for you to be able to ramp up um, your knowledge of multifamily business, um, you know, uh, definitely something worth checking out to be sure. And then again, just I have to mention it because, and I unfortunately I have a team meeting exactly when this happens. But the TGIF, um, yeah. the Friday uh, real estate meetup, I see it posted on LinkedIn all the time. I always like kind of frustrated. I, I have this standing mm -hmm. meeting, so I haven't been able to make it. But tell us a little about what it's about, and uh, you know what people to expect if they show up. It's one hundred percent networking. That's all it is, you know. Um, we we set a time, set aside an hour every week, one o'clock Eastern, you know, uh, eleven o'clock where I'm at now, Mountain Time. But uh, um, basically, it's an hour of people who want to get in the business with people who are in the business, and it's just straight up networking. It, it's grown quite a bit, you know. I've I, I think our high water mark. We once had a, a call with sixty different people on there, you know. So. Um, but typically I put people into, you know, four person breakout rooms and, and you just network. Cool. Um, Very cool. We've had three or four partnerships that have um, basically come out of that networking group and have closed on deals together. So it's, it's definitely something that works. And quite frankly, it was put on the schedule with the tribe of Titans in mind. Okay? Yeah. This was, this was part of the let's build a community Um was let's let's start with this this networking thing and get that rolling very cool that's awesome and you know it kind of comes back to when you were talking about when you were getting into multifamily learning and going to that michael blanc event and mm -hmm. doing those just networking events and i for me personally you never know what you're going to get out of and you think maybe you're going to make some contacts maybe you're going to find somebody you can raise some capital from but it's the talking to people who are maybe a step or a couple steps ahead of you and seeing you know what they've done and what they're doing and just it, it opens the the your perspective and it kind of opens your eyes to what's possible and you got to get in the thick of it and you have yeah. to just talk to people see what they're doing 
Um, because I guarantee for you know those who you're listening, you are you're capable uh, of doing this. Um, whether you want to be a passive investor or you want to be uh, a syndicator, it's just all about putting the time in and talking to enough people. Um, and so, if you want to do it, just go and, and do it. It's it's never the it's rarely I'm not going to say never it's rarely the first time you meet with somebody you sit down and say wow I really want to partner with that person yeah you know so it's it, it takes takes a lot of time sorting people out vetting people you know and it was probably you know conversation five or six with Eric Shirley my current partner um, where we realized that we were putting offers in on the same property you know and properties we had actually have put in offers un, you know unbeknownst to us before but. Uh, you know, that's that's what what lit it. It was four or five conversations prior to that. And then it was finally like, hey, let's collaborate on this one property that we're both looking at. Yeah. Why not? You know, and that's it, it takes it takes that networking group and it takes you know talking with people several times, getting comfortable enough to actually say, let's collaborate. And that's what's great about real estate, right? Is you know, putting those teams together, making those connections and collaborating. It, it's mm -hmm. It's friendly competition, but it's like, you know, we've got room to partner and do deals together. So it's a, yeah. it's a great industry to be a part of. Well, awesome, Brian. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Just for folks who want to learn more about you, learn more about Four Oaks, what is the best way for um, people to get in touch with you and learn more? Yeah, so, so website's probably the easiest way, you know, fouroakscapital.com. And then, like I said, thetribeoftitans.info um, to, to find out more about us. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to do it. You know, send me a connection request and uh, a message along with it. Um, and then also my my email address, not afraid to give that out, Brian Briscoe at fouroakscapital.com. Appreciate it, Brian. Guys, we're going to have all that information to get in touch with Brian below this. Yeah, I recommend connecting with him on LinkedIn. He posts a lot of really interesting stuff. Great guy to know, a lot of great content. And check out diary of an apartment check investor podcast. podcast check out brian's podcast everybody yes. it's a great one it's got i think the best podcast art uh, i've seen in the industry I, th I think it's awesome it's not like the typical just here's a headshot and here's some text um yeah. so props to you guys on, on the marketing um which yeah. you're obviously in charge of so again brian i really appreciate it uh, pleasure having you on the show have a great rest of your day all right hey, thanks man